Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads Community Church, our vision is to awaken the city of Pittsburgh and surrounding areas by creating cool places to experience God in local neighborhoods throughout Pittsburgh and beyond. Now here is this week's message. A lot of pastors won't watch that show uh, and won't play the game. One is because... You know, we get paid to read the Bible for a living, so we think we know too much. The real reason is because we don't know that much. <laughs> and, and we'll, we'll, you know, I watched it once, and, you know, I was like, darn, I know the answer, darn, I know the answer, darn, I know the answer. Let me flip over to the news because I didn't know all the answers. But um, just, just, just to keep us in, in flow, if you've been around, like I said, we've been walking through the book of Romans, and... Uh, all of the things that are going on in our economy and the election and all the uh, political things that are being raised, we've been looking at God's perspective on all of these things. And we talked about faith. Uh, we talked about sexual relationships. Uh, we talked about um, uh, uh, just racism, which I think that's what we did last week. And uh, if you guys watched the debate, almost all of these same things uh, came up in one way or another uh, during the debate. So as we close out this series, um, uh, as Shirley was saying, there needs to be a, 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 I mean, we as the people of God, if you're a Christ follower, if you're someone who says, I know God is my Lord and Savior, uh, then we need to be in prayer uh, for our nation, not specifically for any candidate or for any party uh, to come to power, uh, but just for our nation that God's will uh, would be done. Because today it seems like the church has kind of been, we were talking about this at uh, Bible study on Tuesday night, it's kind of been disarmed. Because right? God has equipped us with the most powerful force in existence in the universe, his Holy Spirit. He gave it freely to his church. And it seems like even though there are, at least in this nation, supposedly about 100 million of us, about a third of the nation that are calling themselves Christ followers, it seems we have taken that weapon, not to say that the Holy Spirit is a weapon, but this, this huge, powerful thing that God has given us, we've kind of laid it down. And walked away from it and said, we've got a better plan that's kind of not working. So we're, 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 we as the church need to be spending time in prayer. And I know we each think that, hey, we want to support a person or a party or a candidate. But if we have not prayed first, then we're not doing God's will. So I'm a, we're going to close out this series. Today is the last thing. And we're going to look at uh, the last topic. Uh, and that's, uh, again, this came up during debate, the role of government. But we're not looking at it from a Democratic or a Republican or a conservative or a liberal or any of those perspectives. We are looking at the role of government from God's perspective. What does God say uh, about it? And I guarantee it's probably going to be a little bit different uh, than what many of us are, are thinking. So if you have a Bible... Open it up to the book of Romans. If you don't, uh, there's probably one under your seat to the front or left or right of you somewhere. Uh, and again, we're not pushing a candidate. We are not pushing a party. We are pushing you. If you have and you're of age and you have the right to vote, then exercise that right. Pray, register, and then go vote. Uh, but don't put aside a right that, like we said before, there are people in other nations who are fighting and dying to get the right that a lot of us take for granted, and that's to have a say in what happens uh, in our government. But in the book of Romans, we've been using that, Paul's letter to Rome, to, uh, to the book of uh, the church in Rome, uh, and we said because th there are so many similarities between 
what was going on in Rome and what's going on in our nation. They had a spiritual division. They had racial division. They had economic turmoil. Uh, they were opposed to, uh, or a government was opposed to a lot of the Christian beliefs and um, it was just a lot of things that correlate with what's going on in our nation today. And I said, if Paul were writing this letter today, uh, he, would, he wrote it to the most powerful nation on the planet at that time, to the capital city in that nation, and to the people of God in that city. So if it, he were writing it today, he would be writing it to uh, what we perceive as the most powerful nation, the United States, and to the capital, Washington, D.C., or Maryland, D.C., Virginia, the MDV area, uh, and he'd be writing to those people and to the churches in that area. And uh, as we've been walking through, a lot of what God says is, is what some perceive as common sense stuff, but some perceive as kind of a little difficult and hard to read. If you've ever read through the book of Romans, there's a lot of theological stuff in there that makes it kind of difficult, but we've been pulling out just some basic stuff that God says about these topics. So um, we're going to continue, drop down to Romans chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 9. And Paul, he's writing to the, uh, and and we're going to see, there's in your Bible, there might be a chapter heading that says love, especially if you're in the NIV version. And sometimes these can kind of pull away because they kind of break up the thought pattern of what the writer meant. Uh, they weren't added by Paul. They were added later on to give us an understanding and a better way to find specific topics. But um, he is talking about love. But he started out by talking to the church about being living sacrifices. Right? Uh, but in verse 9 of chapter 12, he says, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now he's writing to people going through the same kind of stuff we are. Uh, they're going through economic, spiritual, racial mayhem, all that kind of stuff. And he says, love one another. Love God and serve others. If he were writing it to us today, he'd say, hey, I know, you know, there's a lot of political stuff going on. And the nation has been divided over a lot of important issues. But the important thing to remember, and we said Paul always emphasized going back to the gospel and your relationship with God. For us as the church, love God, love one another, and serve others. And if we just did that, then you would not see a lot of denominations splitting and dividing over a lot of these issues because we would say our first and primary responsibility, let's just love on God as the people of God. Let's just love on one another instead of putting mean stuff on each other's Facebook because we don't like what we say about certain politicians. And let's just go and minister and serve others. And that alone would be a huge testimony to how powerful and how loving God is if all of the people um, who call themselves Christ followers said that while everyone else is arguing and hating and debating, we're going to turn around and we're just going to spend time loving on God in prayer, passionate spirituality, loving on each other, and serving others. All right? Now, drop down to verse 12. And he says, be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need. 
and practice hospitality. And again, uh, he says, hey, even though, and he's writing to Romans, the people, they're going through the same kind of stuff we are. And he says, hey, start taking an outward look. All right, start looking at what's going on around you. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, but share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Spend some time giving to others. Spend some time helping others. All right? He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Again, he's saying, hey, don't get all high and mighty, but focus on ministering to others. And here's, here's, here's a thing that if, if, if you go down, uh, like we do the coat drive, all right? If you go down with us, and I know that there are a lot of issues that are of concern and economic concern uh, with this debate and the the way the nation is going. But if you go down and you hand someone some shoes when you're standing in a foot of snow and they're walking up to you in a foot of snow and their shoes are falling apart and you hand them some shoes and they put them on and that's that's like Christmas to them. It kind of makes the fact that, you know, you don't have enough money to buy more clothes less significant, all right? If you go down and when we take coffee and food and you give coffee and food to people who the only time they eat is when people show up to give them food and then they take some extra to go back and sleep under a bridge, it kind of diminishes the fact that your mortgage may go up a percentage or two. It kind of puts it in perspective when you stop focusing, when we turn around and say, yeah, we're going through this and I hope the debate goes this way or the, or the presidency goes this way because then that's going to change this policy or whatever. puts it in perspective when you go down and you help others who are in a definitely lower position than you are. When you go with um, the crew and we have a couple of dates coming up and you go to help someone uh, who literally, I kid you not, who literally just almost cries with joy because you showed up to cut their grass, which on a side note, I would cry with joy if any one of you would cut my grass because I hate it with a passion. But uh, when they get excited just because you show up to help them out because no one else would, it kind of puts in perspective all the things that we're kind of thinking about. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, don't focus on yourself. Continue to love God, love each other, and just go out and be of use to other people. All right, so um, drop down to verse 17. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, this is interesting because he's, he's, he makes it clear. It's not our responsibility to be the, like the, the, the social justice hammer for God, which the church has kind of taken on that responsibility. We've got to go out, and we've got to vindicate, and we've got to do right. And that's not our responsibility. That's God's responsibility. Now, granted, when we see something going wrong, we have a responsibility to speak up and to do right, and there are lots of organizations that are doing worlds of good. Uh, There are lots of organizations and churches that are involved in uh, 
Uh, the human trafficking thing, which we may not hear about because it's not prevalent in this area, but it's huge. It is a like multi-billion, quadrillion dollar industry. And it is taking girls and boys, some as young as two or under, and selling them into, I'm looking, and coitus type stuff. All right? And there are people who say, hey, you know what, I feel that's not right. And so they get involved in it, and that's great. But it's not the church's responsibility to step in and say, we've got to make all this stuff right. Now, it is as an individual, as God lays it on our heart, it is our responsibility to make things right. But the role of the church, the primary role of the church, first and foremost, to exalt the glory of God. Second, to share and to show the love of Christ so that we can invite others in so that they can, third, experience the love of God, all right? And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, don't get involved in doing the right thing. We should, but we shouldn't take that as our primary responsibility, like we've got to go do it, because then we're saying, all right, God, you're not going to take care of this, so we have to step in and do it. And how many of us know God is very capable of taking care of stuff on his own? Now, here's the interesting thing. This is, this is, um, this is where those chapter breaks and all that stuff. Because if you go to uh, 13, chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And it almost breaks up the thought because you go from 12 and then you start on something different. But uh, I'm going to put it up here on the screen and put them together without the chapter separations. And what it says is, uh, do not overcome by evil, or excuse me, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now he's talking to Christians, and he says, hey, don't be overcome by evil, and the way for us to combat it is to do good. And then the next thing he says, very next sentence, very next breath, is submit, or everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. And it's almost as if he is saying to the church in Rome, because they were being oppressed by the Roman government who were opposed to their beliefs and the things that they were doing. And some of them were being tortured and some of them were being killed. And it's almost as if he's saying, hey, the government is evil, but you must submit to the governing authorities. And for those of you who are thinking that, I am not saying our government is evil, all right? That would not be a good place to like, amen, wouldn't work there. All right, but, but this, is, this, is, this is the complete thought that Paul had. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Now he goes on and he says, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. In other words, regardless of um, what our approach is, or regardless of, of, of how we see it, or regardless of who's the sitting president, or regardless of which party has control of the Senate, which party has control of the Congress, God is still sovereign. There is not a single man, party, or government, or nation on this planet that can overcome God's will. God is still sovereign, okay? But then uh, he says, he goes on in Romans 13.2, he says, consequently, as a result of that, or in some of your Bibles, it says, therefore, 
he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. He says, if we are rebelling against the existing government, and here's what happens. You know, it, it, this, is not, this is just nationwide. It's not just the church. Nationwide. We're all for, hey, go vote, go do this. And then the person who gets elected, whether it be at the presidency or whether it be uh, at the state level or whether it be in your municipality, uh, if it's a party or person we don't like, we start saying, oh, well, you don't have to listen to them. We shouldn't obey them, and we start bad-mouthing them. But then if it's the person that we like, we want everyone to do what they say. And that's not what God says. He says regardless of who is in charge, he is still sovereign. And here's, here's, here's a little flow chart. This is the way it's supposed to work, all right, within the church. At the very top of everything, sovereign over everything that happens in the universe, or if you're a comic book fan like me, the multiverse, because there are several, all right? If you're not, we can talk about that later, all right? But uh, everything over the multiverse, God is sovereign. Everything. That's what the Bible reveals to us. Every single thing. There's not a snowflake or a raindrop that falls that God is not aware of, okay? Everything. He is still sovereign. That doesn't mean that everything that happens, he is happy about it because we all know we've done some stuff that God wouldn't be proud of, whether it be at home or at work. We all know our kids have done some stuff that God wouldn't be proud of, all right? We all know that whether there are political parties and candidates that have done some stuff that God wouldn't be proud of. But God is still sovereign, okay? Underneath that, he says, he has instituted governments. There's not a single person. No one has to go and wake God up and say, hey, do you know who just became president? And he's like, no, who? I didn't turn on CNN yet. Doesn't work that way. He is full aware of everything that is happening, okay? And if it happens, again, it's not because he said, this is who I want to be president, but it is because he said he has allowed it to occur. If he did not want it to happen, trust me, it would not happen. He has allowed it to occur, all right? And underneath that, he says, here we sit. We as the church, doing life, living life, and regardless of who is president, regardless of who controls the Senate or who controls the Congress, God is still sovereign. And we are to submit to those laws. And the only exception is if they are outright laws that tell us to defy what God tells us to do. And then you come into a, a state of conscience, and I'm not going to go into that right now, but uh, just to continue on this, all right? He then goes in and uh, he says in verse 3, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. Now here's the key. He says those rulers, they are supposed to submit to God as well, whether they know it or not. Now how many of us know there's a lot of rulers out there, not just in this nation, in this world, that don't know God and don't submit to him? That goes back to him saying it is not our responsibility to try to overcome them with evil. It's God's role to judge them. He gets to hold them accountable. And he's telling us he will hold them accountable because they are supposed to be doing his will. All right? He says, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities. We are supposed to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. 
And that goes back to if we are the people of God, then we are supposed to do what is right. Right? Now, we are supposed to be in prayer constantly for God's will to be done because one of the major ways that God does his will on this planet is through who? His people, the church. That's why we've been hammering. Go and pray. Go and pray. Go and pray. Don't go into the, the booth because my family has always voted this way and that's why I'm voting this way and I don't even know the name of the candidate in this party but we've always voted this party so I'm voting this party which happens. And don't go in there. I'm determined to get this party out because this party does A, B, and C, but I'm going to bring this party in even though they're going to do X, Y, and Z, which is still not what God would want. And what happens in the church is most people say, I got to go vote for whoever's the most Christian, right? Now, don't take this the wrong way, but there's a lot of Christians that were not good at a lot of stuff. And just because you're a Christ follower doesn't mean you're qualified for any role or government. Don't raise your hand, but how many people work for somebody who calls themselves a Christian, but they're not that good at their job? It happens. So what we are supposed to do is pray, and ideally, if you're not a Christian, hopefully you're voting for whoever's the most qualified for the job. But if you're a Christ follower, pray, because we're supposed to be voting for whatever God's will would be done. All right? He goes on and he says, this is also why you pay taxes. Now, help me, Lord. Um, I hate taxes. I hate them. I hate, I hate with, with, a, with a, a, a vibrant passion. And um, you guys know Christy and love her with all my heart, and she loves me. But when tax time comes, we are just so just not good people. <laughs> I don't know any other way to say it. I hate taxes. And, and if you, from, a, from a pastoral standpoint, taxes are just, they're just a massive, massive headache. And I like, I would love to be, honestly, I even thought about this as like, because no one's going to, I would love to be the pastor guy that's just, I'm not just not going to pay him. I even contemplated that. Because I just hate the paperwork and all the stuff that you got to do. And, but God specifically says, pay taxes. You know, and that's one of those things where you, I'm going to get up to heaven and say, why, God? Why? I probably won't. I'll be just like, oh, I'm so unworthy. But it's one of those things, where just why, God? Why can't, wh- I mean, there has to be a better way. But God tells us to pay taxes. And there's a lot of people who's like, I'm not paying while that party's in charge, or I'm not paying while, you know, that candidate is, is, is sitting. And that's not what God says. And for me, I, t- I'm, I can't express it anymore. I hate, like, the only thing I hate more than taxes are stink bugs. <laughs> and cats, but that's a whole, but, and I hate it. But you know what? So we spend the time, we sit down, and we duke it out, and we, ooh, and we pull out our hair and all this stuff, and, and do it because God says you got to do it. Why in the world? I don't know, but he says do it, so we have to do it, regardless of who's in power. And we have to do it with honor and integrity. And he says, because uh, the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. And he says, here's the key thing, give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And what typically happens is if the person that we didn't vote for gets an office, we disrespect that office because of that person. And all you got to do, if you know what Facebook is, is just go online and you'll see people bashing the office of the presidency because they disagree with Obama. 
bashing uh, maybe their senatorial or congressman uh, because they're not the party that they want. But God says we should, if you're a Christ follower, regardless of who's there, still pay honor to that office. It's his responsibility, if that person is dishonoring that office, to hold them accountable. And he says he will judge them. Now, here's the thing. Here's what happens when we try to do it. And uh, some of you guys know that's how um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, everyone know who he is? Right? How he became the governor of California. They had a recall election. Have, has anyone ever taken part in a recall election? It's basically, and this is, this is one of the beautiful things about America that we should embrace. They basically said to the governor in California, you're not doing your job. You're doing it so bad, you are fired. And then they had another, what they call a recall election, and Ar Arnold Schwarzenegger got elected, the movie star. What's the wrestler's name that became a governor? Um, Jesse Ventura, the wrestler, became, I mean, seriously. And th this is this is bad, though, and I, I'm not sure if I got the right state. I think it was in Wisconsin. There was an, a, a recall election. They said, I think it was a governor or a senator, somebody, they said, you're doing so bad, you're fired. And they booted him out, and they had a recall election. And you know who won? The guy they booted out. I mean, we got to pay attention. If you think, hey, you're doing, it would be, and I, we were talking about this on Tuesday night, it would be like you guys saying, you know what, Floyd, you're doing such a bad job, you are fired as pastor. We don't want you here anymore. You're not leading us the way God wants you. are doing such a bad job. And I say, okay. And then you guys start taking resumes, and I submit mine. And you say, you're hired. <laughs> I mean, does that make any sense at all? But this is why it's important to, to pay attention if you're a Christ follower and do it God's way. Because if we do it our way, sometimes, how many people know, we just have a tendency to mess some stuff up. All right? But uh, let me go on. Here's, here's, here's the thing. I'm going to walk you through something really quickly because this is important to know. This, is not the f this election is not the first time where... Someone had to say, hey, God, things are going out of control. Can you step in? God has been working in governments, even those that are opposed to him, for a very long time. Uh, in the book of uh, Proverbs, chapter 21, verse 1, some of you are familiar with this. It says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. In essence, the, the, the way that God has laid out the rivers to flow, if God says it will happen, it will happen. If it happens... It's because God has allowed it to happen, and even if we can't understand it, there's a reason. Now, many of you guys are familiar with, and I'll walk you through this quickly, not to make this a history lesson, but it's important. Um, how many of you guys are familiar with Egypt? We talked about them uh, a couple of weeks ago. They were the first world superpower, not world-dominating, but the first world superpower. Tremendous uh, advancement in math, uh, in, in medicine, in uh, architectural engineering, all right? Uh, they were like, uh, and how many of you guys remember... Um, uh, the story of Joseph. Remember Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat and how his brothers sold him into slavery and he ended up in Egypt and he ended up working for somebody as like a household servant and then he got accused of adultery or almost rape is what he was accused of and then he got sent to prison and he spent several years in prison and then we know how the story ends. He ended up as the equivalent of the prime minister of a nation that he wasn't even a citizen of. I mean, that couldn't happen here. I mean, if you get a prison record here, you 
have to fight, if you can, just to get the right to vote, let alone to be over an entire nation, not just any nation, the most powerful nation on the planet at that time, the first world superpower. And here's what he says when he was talking to his brothers about why all of that happened. Here's what he says. He says, Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And this is after he had revealed himself to them. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God maneuvered things in such a way so that in this nation, God used Egypt to not just preserve and protect his people during a famine, but to multiply them from a small family of 70 to 75 until when they left Egypt, there were possibly uh, millions. And here's the thing. They didn't just leave Egypt. They left Egypt filthy, stinking rich. They went in with goats and no food and goats and no food. They came out with gold and silver and all kind of jewelry, stuff that they didn't earn, but stuff that God allowed them to take. God used the government of Egypt to maintain, multiply, and increase the wealth of his people. And I don't know if you know this, but Egyptians, I don't know if can't say that today, I don't know, but at that time, they were opposed, the word Hebrew is actually comes from a word, uh, an Egyptian word that was used to refer to them as farmers because the Egyptians looked at farmers as lower-class citizens. They didn't want to associate with them, and I can't give you an analogy because if I name a job today, someone's going to send me a nasty letter and say, you're saying that's lower-class? But think in your head of the job that you wouldn't want to do. That's the way the Egyptians looked at the Israelites. But God used them to preserve, protect, and to multiply his nation. Now, how many of you guys are familiar with uh, Assyria, right? They were the actual, um, from a biblical perspective, the first world-dominating superpower. Not just a superpower, but that went over and started conquering nations and taking over and um, what was considered uh, the known world at that time. How many of you guys remember the story of Jonah? All right, Jonah, God said, go and, you know, prophesy to them because they're doing evil and wicked things. And Jonah said, no. And a fish had to slap him around. And he said, okay, God, I'll do it. And then after he says, okay, here's what happens. Uh, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. He went into the capital of the Assyrian Empire and he started saying, hey, in 40 days, you guys are going down. Verse 5, he says, the Ninevites believed God. Now, he was proclaiming this, but they perceived that this is coming from God and they believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. What would happen if every Christ follower, like we said we're going to do, said, hey, you know what, regardless of where our house of worship is, we're going to spend the day fasting and praying for our nation before we step into the polls. It says, verse 6, when the news reached the king, now this is the the king, this is the leader, the guy who's in charge. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. 
Now, this is throughout the city. This must be done by everyone. He says, by decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. From the top down, he say, it wasn't just the people saying, well, maybe we should fast. This is the leader of the nation, the most powerful nation on the planet at that time. They had grown more powerful than Egypt, and they were a world dominating, taking over wherever they wanted. And they said, you know what? We need to fast and pray for God to have mercy on us. Verse 8, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Now, this is the, I thought that was funny. Let man and beast. That means your dogs, your cats, your, your, well, cats are excluded. They have a mind of their own. But your dogs, your animals, everything in your home, saying we're going to submit ourselves, we're going to pray, and we're going to seek God. He says, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And this, this is amazing to me. He said, let everyone call on God, give up your evil ways and their violence. In other words, he knew what was going on. He knew how wicked the nation was. He was probably the, I'm going to let that slide. I'm, we're going to let this go. And they were a violent, extremely violent nation. When they overtook a territory, they would, I'm looking around again, de- take off body parts and hang them so that other people would say, whoa, we're not going to mess with them. Just as a sign of, this is how bad we are. All right? And he says, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion Turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Now, for some people, they say, well, hey, this is a sign of God changing his mind. This is why I don't believe the Bible, because in the Bible it says God doesn't change his mind. This is not God changing his mind. God's plan and purpose was to send Jonah so that they would relent, so that he would not have to allow the consequences of their sin come upon them. And they just happen to say, yes, it was out of compassion that God sent Jonah. It was out of compassion that God sent Jesus Christ because he doesn't want the consequences of our sin to weigh on us. Separation from him. Not to mention all the earthly consequences of bearing the guilt and the the, the transgressions and all the iniquity and the stuff that we hold on inside. And he doesn't want us to do that. It was out of compassion and out of his mercy that he sent Jesus Christ to us. All right, let me go quickly through um, another one. How many of you guys are familiar with Babylon? All right, Babylon was the next world-dominating empire, all right? And somewhere around 640, 610 B.C., uh, and the, there's a lot of dispute over when this was written, there was a prophet by the name of Habakkuk. How many people, now raise your hand, how many people have actually read the book of Habakkuk? Okay, a couple. Uh, when you read through these, these, these minor prophets and even the major prophets, minor, not because they were less important, just because they're shorter books, a lot of times it can be overwhelming because God is sending them to nations and regions and areas to proclaim, here is the consequence of your sin, of your actions. And it's using a lot of terminology that we're not familiar with and n- naming a, not a lot of places that we're not familiar with. But if you take the places out and input cities that we are familiar with, it's mind-boggling. It's basically God saying, hey, uh, if you, to this nation or people, don't get your act together, here's what's going to happen. And then you read through later prophets, and you see where this one that said this is going to happen 200 years before, and then 200 years later, you see where God did what he said he was going to do. But the the, um, Babylonians, uh, Habakkuk, he looked in his nation, all right, kind of like some of us look today, and we say the world is full of wickedness, There's a lot of violence going on, a lot of injustice, a lot of just 
the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer, and they're doing it on the backs of the richer, and all this kind of stuff. And he says, what's going on, God? Do you not, and how many of you have ever, you know, that been your prayer? God, do you not see the state that we're in? Do you not see what's happening? Do you not see that the hearts of the people are not for you, but they're for themselves, and we're doing it and hurting each other just out of greed and, and just meanness and wickedness? And this is what he tells him. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. And this is what God told him. And this was before uh, the Babylonians actually came in and ransacked Israel. He said, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places, not their own. And, and, and if you don't know, really quickly, let me, I'm, I'm going to tile this up in a minute. Um, the next world-dominating empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, Medo-Persian or Medo-Persian, depending on how you want to pronounce it, they came in. And if you read through the book of Daniel, it walks you through a lot of this stuff. And you'll see uh, uh, the, the Babylonian Empire, and you'll see when the Medo-Persians came in and overtook them. And uh, God actually says, uh, I'm going to, in the book of Chronicles, he says everything that's going to happen. And this was hundreds of years before it happened. Uh, if you read through the book of Isaiah and you read through some of the major prophets, God says, hey, this is going to be the consequence of these people not doing my will. And in Second Chronicles, it says he, meaning God, brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary and spared neither young man nor young woman, old man or aged. God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. This was the king of the Babylonians. God said, hey, these people, the Israelites, you're not obeying my will. You're going far from me. You're not seeking me any longer. You're, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, you are suppressing the truth of who I am. And so God raised up the Babylonians. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was the king. And if you read through the book of Daniel, uh, and a lot of theologians debate over this, you get to a point where Nebuchadnezzar kind of acknowledges that, wow, this God, Jehovah, he's really God. And so some think that it was just him saying that. Some think that, hey, when we get to heaven, Nebuchadnezzar's going to be there. I can't tell you for sure. All I can tell you is that God took the heart of the king and used it for the purposes to do what he wanted for his people. All right? In verse 18, it says he uh, carried to Babylon all the articles in the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. Everything just went down. Uh, he goes on and he says, he carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his sons until the kingdom of Persia, the media Persia Empire, came into power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rest all the time of its desolation. It rested until the 70 years were completed in the fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. And then in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord, Spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. This is what, now, before I go on to this, basically, that's a lot. Let me tell you what happened. God spoke hundreds of years before and said, you guys are going to do this, and so I'm going to use this nation, this nation that does not know me, does not claim me as Lord, it's not a Christian nation, but I'm going to use them to fulfill my will. 
and then I'm going to use this other nation, this man named King Cyrus, whose name was written in the Bible 200 years before he was ever born, and I'm going to use him and his nation to fulfill my will. And it says, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and Judah. Any one of his people among you, may the Lord his God be with him, and let him go up. Here's this king who doesn't know God. He's of this nation that doesn't know God, but he's acknowledging that God is God and that God is using him to do God's will. Now, I don't know if he ever made a confession of faith, but this is just to say that, uh, I'm going to ask the band to come up. This is just to say that this is not a hard thing. And In our minds, we think, you know what? If we, and I've heard people say this, and I've heard pastors say this, and I can understand our passion. If we don't vote this way, to either keep this party in power or remove this party from power. What's going to happen to the world? And in my thinking, I can understand the passion we have, but God is the one who has that responsibility and that capability. And before I go in determined to see this party stay or see this party leave, I need to go in prayer determined that, God, I want to see your will done. God can move even in governments that refuse to acknowledge him and use them for his purposes. But we have a responsibility. And as we were singing before, it, this is not a case of, uh, you know what? If we don't do something, nothing will be done. It's more of a case of we as God's people need to be faithful and committed to serving him. So I'm going to ask you to stand, and uh, I'm actually going to switch it up on you guys. We're going to sing that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, again. So uh, I'm going to ask you to stand, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do. As you sing it, which you do two things as you sing this song. First and foremost, think in your mind, are you going to go vote? And I know you, you're, you're probably not thinking about it, but start getting it in your head that you are. I'm, I've got to check my schedule. I've got to make sure I have time. If I work 12 hours that day and I won't get there, what can I do? Uh, get that first and foremost in your mind, right? But also, second thing, and more important, get in your mind that, but I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray and seek God and trust that he is faithful to do Things that my mind cannot grasp or imagine, even when it comes to working with our government. All right, keep that in prayer as we sing. God, we thank you so much that you are faithful even when we can't see it, even when we are disobedient, even when we are putting our trust in other things, in men, in groups of men, in parties, in whatever, God. We thank you that every single day, even when we refuse to acknowledge it, that you are there, sovereign. And we pray that as we move forward, that we would begin to put our trust and our faith in you. That we not trust in the, the, the organizational structures of, 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 of political parties or, or candidates' promises, but we put our trust and faith in a God who has shown throughout time that you are sovereign over the affairs of men, that you love us, that you care for us, that you will continue to provide for us, and that you alone are God. 
God, we thank you for everything that you bless us with, even the things that we don't see coming down the road, even when the, the, the cupboard is bare and the bank account is zero. We just praise you and thank you, God. God, we pray that your people would begin to just put everything we have into, like, like we just read, what Paul told the Romans, into loving you more, loving each other more, and serving others. Thank you for this morning, God, and we praise you and we bless you. We pray this in the matchless, priceless, powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.